Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 509. It is early Wednesday morning. Later than I want to record this episode, not going to lie to you. Uh, I feel it's important to do that. I, I have had a technical problem this week that's been terrifying. Uh, my camera has not been reading SD cards. And my initial response is not to replace my $1,500 camera. I've been trying to fix it. I think I did fix it. I'm 95% sure that the camera is recording me right now. I was so close. I almost recorded an audio only episode and said no no video this week uh but I, I think i fixed it there's a red light in the camera that's blinking at me that's the recording light there is no timestamp. not sure why but I, I think we got it working it wasn't recording earlier this week uh also i have great news i'm done working at the restaurant my last day was sunday it has been frankly hell trying to cover football when you can't watch football on sundays because you're working all day at a restaurant uh not fun hate that uh, back to self-employment. Thank the Lord. Very grateful. Uh, also, kind of some fun news. It's rainy today. It is It is actually like, it's 7.30 in the morning. The sun should be out. It's not. It's raining here in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, I'm driving up to Seattle today to go to my first ever Seattle Mariners game. I grew up a Mariners fan. I watched every game for like five years with my grandpa during the summer. Never been to a Mariners game before. Going with my be- my buddy... Uh, I call him quiet because he's not actually quiet. Him and I are going to a Mariners game, the last home game of the year. They made the playoffs. It's absolutely crazy. I'm going to get a hot dog. I'm going to get wasted. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I'm going to watch baseball. I hope. Hopefully the Mariners win. That'd be really fun. I just want to have a good time at the ballpark. So uh, I've never been to a professional baseball game in my life. I've been to like minor league games before. Very excited to go to, I believe it's now T-Mobile Park in Seattle, uh, that's going to be wild and fun. Let's jump into football. During NFL Week 4, Seattle beat Detroit 48-45. to The Detroit Lions are now 1-3. and And the number one thing I need people to know about the Lions and about Jared Goff is that the 1-3 start is not Jared Goff's fault. I have been hard on Jared Goff in the past. He got LA to a Super Bowl. I thought he wasn't good enough in that Super Bowl. They lost to New England. Uh, He got replaced. They brought in Matthew Stafford. They shipped him off to Detroit. I actually felt kind of bad for Jared Goff at that point. He got booted off. We worked with Sean McVay, got them to a Super Bowl. They said, you're not good enough. We're going to ship you off. He got sent to Detroit, Michigan. I don't know about you, but for a kid who grew up in California, I didn't grow up in California. Jared Goff did, Northern California, outside of San Francisco. Living the dream, living in Los Angeles, the Rams quarterback, going to Michigan would be rough. To to grow up in California without a cold winter, to have to go live in Michigan in December, also a historically losing franchise. I felt bad for Jared Goff when that happened. Now I feel bad for Jared Goff because the dude is balling out. He's playing outstanding. And my fear is that Jared Goff isn't going to get credit for what he's doing. I don't have a stake in the game. I like Jared Goff as a human being. If Jared Goff was playing bad, I would tell you. But right now, he's tied for the most touchdown passes in the NFL. He has 11. Uh, Detroit leads the NFL in scoring. They lead the NFL in total yards. Uh, They only have four turnovers. It's not like he's pulling a Jameis Winston and throwing for a ton of yards, but throwing an equal amount of interceptions. No, no, no. He's dominating. Offense is not the problem in Detroit. And furthermore, quarterback is not the problem. 
in Detroit. Jared Goff is playing very, very well. Seattle at Detroit was really fun to watch for me, an objective third party who doesn't really care who wins. I just want a fun game. It's interesting. But I can only imagine how frustrated a Detroit Lions fan must have felt watching that football game. The Lions defense is struggling, man. Uh, you know, for Detroit to score 45 points and lose a football game, that's absurd. And the Lions made it 38 to 41 with five minutes to go. The only problem was, you know, they made it a four point or I guess a three point game, 38 to 41. Gosh, I grew up in America. My math is all wrong. Uh, but no, like, you know, it's, it's funny to me. You make it a three point game, five minutes to go. You think you have a chance to win the game there. And Detroit might have won the game if they could have ever gotten a stop. Literally, Seattle didn't punt the entire football game. Detroit could not stop Seattle. Seattle, the only time Seattle didn't score was when they got in their own way and fumbled or had a turnover. Um, There was even one play where Seattle was backed up third and 16. And I thought, hallelujah, finally, the Detroit Lions are going to get a stop in this football game. And on a third and 16, I want to hear, I want you to hear this. Third and 16 yards. (laughs) Rashad Penny ran for a 36-yard touchdown. It was ridiculous. I I would imagine that's a play that Lions fans remember very well. The pain, the suffering. Third and 16, you finally got a stop. You held them to a field goal. That would have been the difference in the game, by the way. Like, that, that was a massive deal. And there was one play where, I mean, I, I just, oh, man. I, I guess, let me back up. I, I just feel bad for Jared Goff, you know, the quarterback of the Lions. He's gotten so much better this offseason. Like, Jared Goff, head and shoulders better than he was last year. Nobody's even going to notice. People don't realize, on Sunday, against Seattle, the Lions were missing five starters. They're starting running back DeAndre Swift. Swift. Their top two receivers, Amon Ross St. Brown and DJ Chark, both of their starting guards on the offensive line weren't playing. So five starters on offense were missing, and Jared Goff puts up 45 points and loses a football game. Oh my gosh. Every Lions loss this year has been within four points or less. And it's not like the Lions haven't been scoring. They lead the NFL in scoring. They lost week one to Philly, 38 to 35. Week three, they lost on a last-second touchdown to Minnesota, 28-24. Week four, he loses Seattle, 48-45. Seattle never punted. You couldn't stop Geno Smith. And Geno Smith is playing well. I'm not trying to discredit him. But, oh, my goodness. You know, against Seattle, Detroit never led the football game. They just started. You know, the Seahawks got the ball first. They scored first and never slowed down. Jared Goff was great in this football game. 26 for 39 passing. 378 yards, four touchdown passes. He had one mistake. He threw a pick six, uh, one mistake all game, first play of the third quarter. And and honestly, it's one of those, it wasn't the kind of interception where you go, what a terrible throw, nowhere near a receiver. It wasn't egregious, wasn't an egregious interception. It was just awful. It was a defender, Tariq Woolen, making a really, really good play. There's a a medium crossing route, Tariq Woolen undercut it, which you know how much speed it takes to start from behind a receiver, speed up, undercut them, grab the ball, and then run for a touchdown. It was incredible. I was like, that's a hell of a play from Tariq Woolen. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. Jared Goff, like, that's a mistake. You can't throw a pick six in that moment. But it wasn't like a terrible interception. It was just like a really great play by the defender. That happens sometimes. And, I I mean, probably shouldn't have been thrown there. But still, like, nine times out of ten, that's probably not a pick six. And... Oh my gosh, to make one mistake all game, to score 45 points and lose a football game, 
I feel bad for Jared Goff. They lead the NFL in scoring in yards. They only have four turnovers this year on offense. I just want it very clear. You're missing five starters on offense to score 45 points. You can't blame Jared Goff. Jared Goff is innocent. I feel like I need to defend his honor. He's going to get a lot of people, oh, the Lions are terrible. They're one and three. Jared Goff is the problem. That's incredibly lazy and totally wrong. They need to triple, double down on Jared Goff, get him more support, get him a better defense because this guy should be winning football games. This is not at all on Jared Goff. And it'd be a waste of money and a waste of everybody's time and investment to move on and get another quarterback in Detroit when you got one who's playing very, very well. It, it's infuriating to me the way people just move off quarterbacks so quickly and don't give them a proper opportunity to succeed. Jared Goff's doing great here. Do not replace him. By the way, the offensive numbers in this football game were insane. It was like watching a video game. I, I've been playing Madden maybe too much recently. Oh my goodness, dude. I got Madden on my Vita. Madden 13. Did you know RG3 is a rookie in that football game? I traded RG3 to the Carolina Panthers. It's been really fun on my PlayStation Vita. When you live out of a truck, that's how you play games. Anyway, this game, <laughs> Seattle-Detroit. DK Metcalf had seven catches for 149 yards. Rashad Penny, Seattle's running back. 17 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. And then I got to give a shout out to TJ Hawkinson, the Lions tight end. TJ Hawkinson, missing Amon Ross St. Brown, missing DJ Chark, missing your running back, missing, a you know, I don't know a lot of tight ends that could carry your whole offense when your top receivers are up, but TJ Hawkinson against Seattle had eight catches for 179 yards and two touchdowns. Eight catches, 179, 179 yards, two touchdowns. Again, I don't know how many tight ends could do that. Um, I think Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Ah, like how many guys? I, a lot, a lot of great tight ends out there. But I think T.J. Hawkinson's name's got to be up there. I think of, I, I know Mark Andrews is awesome. I know that Dallas Goddard is awesome in Philadelphia. Dallas Goddard's better than people realize. But I'm just saying, T.J. Hawkinson's name doesn't get brought up enough. And in fact, I would tell you this I, right now, based on how the year has gone so far, I would take T.J. Hawkinson over Darren Waller in Detroit, or sorry, in, in Vegas, and. I just think TJ Hawkinson deserves some shine. The dude is playing outstanding this year. By the way, here's a fun thought about Seattle. Through the first four games of the year, Geno Smith is playing better than the former Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, which I find both hilarious and amazing. I did not expect that at all. Russell Wilson is on a new team with a new system, so you can kind of uh, give him some room here and be like, yeah, you know, Russ... New team, he's learning. Whereas Geno Smith, he knows Seattle system very, very well. He's, you know, this is his third year in Seattle. But I find it to be an incredibly fun storyline that Geno Smith is playing better than the former Seattle quarterback, Russell Wilson, who Russ got paid $245 million. How could he be getting outplayed by Geno Smith? And I, it makes me wonder is this going to continue? As the year goes on, will Geno Smith continue to outplay Russell Wilson? Or is it just, hey, the beginning of the season is rough. Geno knows the system. Russell Wilson doesn't. New team. Could things even out by the end of the year? But you bet your bippy. Week 17, week 18, I'm going to be looking at things going, hmm, is Geno still playing better than Russell Wilson? Right now, here's how they compare. Geno Smith has 1,037 passing yards. Russell Wilson has 980. Geno has six touchdown passes. Russell Wilson only has four. Geno's completing 77.3% of his passes. Russell Wilson's only completing 
By the way, Geno Smith has the highest completion percentage in the NFL by a mile. He is incredibly efficient right now and throwing touchdowns. He's got two interceptions. Russell Wilson only has one. By the way, uh, Geno's run for a touchdown. So Geno has seven total touchdowns. Russell Wilson has a total of five touchdowns. Russ is two and two. Geno's two and two. And I, I did not expect at all that four weeks into the year, we'd be saying, hey, Geno Smith looks really dang good. And Seattle doesn't really miss Russell Wilson. They're, they're glad they're not paying a quarterback as much as they were. And um, Geno's outplaying Russell Wilson four weeks into the year, which I find shocking, hilarious, and outstanding. All right. Uh, we had a really fun game this past weekend. It was Buffalo at Baltimore. The Bills at the Ravens. Josh Allen against Lamar Jackson. Buffalo won 23-20 to with a last-second field goal. This is a massive win for Josh Allen and the Bills. Kind of a big comeback, actually. The Ravens were up 20-3 to in the second quarter, and the Ravens lost 23-20. to The Ravens did not score in the second half. Uh, it's On one side, it's a great comeback for Buffalo. On the other side, it's a great... I mean, the Ravens kind of... You could argue they fell apart. Um, Baltimore only got the ball four times in the second half. They had two punts and two picks. And... One interception was tipped on the line of scrimmage. I can forgive that. That happens. Um, and by the way, the Ravens, I, I got to give them credit. Now, I, I Buffalo tipped that pass. But while I'm on the topic, the Ravens defensive line, by the way, does a great job tipping passes. I got to say, I was talking to my buddy who played defensive line in the NFL. I'm like, hey, how does that happen? He goes, you know, it's a mix of the general manager does a good job finding guys who have that skill set. It's on the players for being really good at getting their hands up and having the hand-up coordination to knock the ball out of the air. And then also, it's a coaching point that the Ravens talk about is that you know they do focus in meetings, hey, get your hands up. If you're not getting after the quarterback, at least get your hands up and tip the ball. And Josh Allen had a hard time throwing the ball for the Bills this weekend where a lot of time his balls were getting knocked into the ground or tipped in the line of scrimmage because the Ravens are just getting their hands up into passing lanes. And as a quarterback, when you're playing a team like that, playing a team like that it's incredibly frustrating when the defensive line is just causing havoc on your day and tipping your passes up the line of scrimmage. Now, the Ravens, let's back to them. They're, they're squandering in the second half. Um, the Ravens had this one drive that was almost 10 minutes at the end of the fourth quarter. 14 plays, 9 minutes, 29 seconds, multiple big conversions. They converted a third and eight, I believe, Lamar threw to Mark Andrews. They had a third and 12 where Lamar ran up the middle for 18 yards. Uh, they overcame a big holding call that set them back to first and 20. And the drive ended on a fourth and goal at the two-yard line with four minutes left in the game. It was a massive stop stop for Buffalo. Uh, Matt Milano, by the way, Bills linebacker, had an incredible play on second and goal to stop um, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield. But people have really criticized the Ravens for going forward on fourth and goal. Fourth and goal, two-yard line, Four minutes left. Lamar Jackson got picked off in the end zone. And the Ravens have the best kicker in the NFL, Justin Tucker. He was watching from the sideline as his team elected to not kick a field goal from the two-yard line with four minutes left on fourth and goal. And some people have said the Ravens should have kicked the field goal. Oh, the Ravens, what are you doing? You look like idiots. You got the best kicker in the NFL. You're not going to use him? I would push back against that line of thinking. I, I would actually argue... I understand why Baltimore felt like they needed a, a touchdown to win. They wanted a safe lead. Buffalo in the second half had been moving the ball 
really, really easily. So I, I understand not kicking a field goal because I'm not sure that a field goal would have won the game for Baltimore. I mean, the Bills drove 77 yards in four minutes. They got the ball on the goal line. Then they ran at the clock. They could have tried to score a touchdown, but they got there so easily. They had a bunch of time. They just basically ran a quarterback sneak and got nowhere and set up a field goal and ran the clock out. Against a legendary offense like Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, I, I think you need touchdowns to win. And I, I really think it's kind of a catch-22 that's unfair to John Harbaugh, the Ravens head coach, where if you kick a field goal on fourth and goal, and then they put together the same exact drive that Buffalo did and score a touchdown instead because they didn't need a field goal. They needed a touchdown. If, you, if they score a touchdown and you lose 27 to 23, then people would have been arguing in Baltimore today, well, the Ravens should have gone for it on fourth and goal. Why, why didn't they go for it? They got a kicker, I know, but you know, you need touchdowns to beat a great team. It's a lose-lose situation. The only decision that lets you sleep at night is going for the touchdown and getting a safe lead. You didn't get it. You got stopped on fourth and goal, and that's painful. But you went down swinging, and I'd rather... That's the approach I like. Try to go for the safe lead, go down swinging against a really good offense and Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills. Don't kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the two-yard line and then lose 27-23, to which I think might have very well happened had they kicked the field goal in that situation. So, I don't know. I, I think the Ravens can sleep at night. It's a tough loss. It's a painful one. But... I would argue that was the right decision at the end of the game. By the way, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, had two plays he's going to want back, in my opinion. It was a rainy, wet game, so I can forgive. Like, both quarterbacks had kind of ugly, weird, middling stat lines. That's fine with me. But there was a throw where Lamar missed Mark Andrews open in the end zone. He ran a wheel route, a double move, got open in the back corner of the end zone, right corner. And Lamar overthrew it. That, that should have been a touchdown. And then later on that fourth and goal at the end of the game where Lamar got picked off, he had Devin DuVernay open in the end zone. He saw him too late. That should have been a touchdown as well. Um, I, I don't want to pick on Lamar Jackson. He's an incredible quarterback. But those are two plays that I know when he watches film, he's going to go, oh, those are missed opportunities. Those should be two touchdowns. And uh, frankly, that, that should be the game right there. So um, there are two plays Lamar's going to want back that – I, I don't know if people are talking about it this week or not. Uh, honestly, people probably are not talking about those two misses. I, I don't think people nitpick people, but I know that in the film room in Baltimore, Lamar's going, oh, man, I cannot believe I missed Mark Andrews. I cannot believe I didn't see Devin DuVernay. Uh, and those are learning moments where one's accuracy. One is you, you got to understand the concept a little better on fourth and goal, what they're trying to do and what could potentially happen. And um, I, I think one's more a teaching moment. One is more just you got to be more accurate. Uh, now, uh, I want to give one final note. Bootlegs are so effective in short yardage with Bill's quarterback, Josh Allen. Uh, a bootleg is where you fake the run inside to the running back. You fake a handoff. You roll the quarterback outside of the pocket. It gives Josh Allen leverage to either run the ball, like tuck it and run, or throw the ball downfield. And it's dangerous as hell. He can just run over defenders on third or fourth and short. He, he's so big and powerful, he can just bowl over anybody. Defensive linemen, linebackers, it doesn't matter. He just runs through whatever he wants. And in a short yardage situation, size and strength is more valuable than speed. I think of you know Kyler Murray's one extreme of the spectrum. Josh Allen is the other. I'd rather have Josh Allen than Kyler Murray in a short yardage situation. 
uh, although both are great. Either extreme is great. Everyone in the middle is kind of screwed. Uh, Josh Allen's like a battering ram that can also throw. Like, it's kind of terrifying. He's like Derrick Henry playing quarterback. Um, and he had this one touchdown run where the Bills ran a naked bootleg, meaning uh, there's no receivers running routes. You, you fake the handoff inside, you roll out, and there's nowhere for him to throw. It's just a straight quarterback-designed run. He ran an 11-yard touchdown run on second and three. It was pretty wild. And I just, I want that clear. That I don't know if that's going to matter later in the year, but in short yardage situations, I don't really know how you stop Josh Allen. It becomes a, he's, he becomes basically a linebacker who can throw the football and he will run you over. Like he's big, he's powerful. It makes me think of old Ben Roethlisberger or old Cam Newton maybe. I, I maybe more Cam because it just, I saw Cam Newton run some people over back in the day. Like, boy, Cam was good. And Josh Allen has a similar quality where a fourth and inches, him on the edge against the linebacker, he's getting that first down. He's, he's not going down. And that's a really dangerous weapon the Buffalo Bills have as a part of their offense is that ability to run bootleg on fourth and short. Oh yeah, by the way, it looks like a run. It's a it's a fake handoff inside, so you have to respect the threat of an inside run as well. And so it's just a really dangerous um, conundrum defenses have to deal with when the Bills run any kind of bootleg with Josh Allen in a short yardage situation. Okay, um, week four, the game in Pittsburgh was super fun. Jets at Steelers. The Jets won 24-20. But two young quarterbacks made their season debut. Zach Wilson, the Jets quarterback, played for the first time after starting the year hurt. He had a minor knee surgery during the preseason. By the way, it's a huge year for Zach Wilson where he's in his second year now. He's trying to prove to the world and prove to his team he's a franchise quarterback. Now, on the other side of the field, you have Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett, who made his NFL debut. First time ever playing an NFL game. Great for him. He's a first-round draft pick, the only quarterback drafted in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Let's start with Kenny Pickett. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, that'd be be like a fun nickname if they ran like a wing tee offense. Uh, Pittsburgh benched quarterback Mitchell Trubisky at halftime. They got tired of watching him struggle. They're like, we just can't, we're not doing it anymore. Trubisky, I don't want to say the guy is useless, man. I, I feel like that's unfair. He had a really good throw to Deontay Johnson. It was almost one of the most incredible touchdown throws I've ever seen, like into a really tight window. Like, Trubisky isn't awful. He'll always probably have a job in the NFL because he is somewhat competent. Although, is he? Like, here's here's what I mean. I Watching Trubisky, I'm like, man, I have no confidence this guy can beat man coverage with a great throw. Like you watch Aaron Rodgers, you watch Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. These guys throwing back shoulder fades and throwing people open against man coverage. Trubisky doesn't have that ability to do that. He's not accurate enough. He doesn't have a strong enough arm to put in a zip on the ball to do that. And then also it's year six in the NFL and he's still struggling with basic stuff like finding windows against zone coverage. And if you can't beat zone coverage... Also, I don't think you can beat man coverage. Then what can you do as a quarterback? You're like a babysitter who can babysit the football a little bit and not be horrible, I guess. But the ceiling is so, so limited for Mitchell Trubisky, and he's not made progress enough. He's made some. He's better than he used to be. But he's not made enough to justify being a starting quarterback at any level uh, or on any team in the NFL. And when you're like, can't beat man coverage, can't beat zone coverage, I guess he can hand it off. Like, are you even really valuable as a backup? Because in a big game, 
what does Trubisky offer you? Like, I, I would love to see Trubisky running the offense in Miami, maybe. But I, I think Tua is better than Trubisky by a lot. Like, Trubisky, again, I don't know that he has the anticipation to run the Dolphin system. It's just weird and confusing. Now, um, the Steelers were so much more fun to watch on offense after they made the change to Kenny Pickett at quarterback. And I, I really think that the kind of the question that maybe is fun, maybe useless, I'm not really sure. Who did better in their first game of the year, Kenny Pickett or Zach Wilson? And the reason why I say it's kind of worthless maybe and silly is that the answer is I walked away thinking both were kind of positive, I guess, now that I think about it out loud. Zach Wilson probably did better than Kenny Pickett. He won the game, and that's cool, although that's to be expected. You're the, you're the guy who's played the NFL for a year before. Kenny Pickett's making his first ever NFL uh, throws. I mean, it's, it's his NFL debut, so... um I don't know. I, I guess Zach Wilson did better, but maybe that's a useless question. Kenny Pickett, though, was so awesome to watch because he took more shots downfield than Trubisky was doing. And really, I thought Kenny Pickett did a great job giving the Pittsburgh receivers a chance because Pittsburgh has really good receivers. They've got George Pickens, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. Also, they have Pat Fryermuth at tight end. Like, that's too good of a receiving group to not score points and do well. And Kenny Pickett not only throws the ball better than Trubisky, where he's more accurate, he's got more velocity, he also has better body language. Uh, I like how he interacts with his receiving core. You can tell the locker room actually prefers Kenny Pickett. Um, also, it's, I guess really it's worth a shout-out to Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, the Pittsburgh head coach, was really patient. Like, I, I love how he handled... This quarterback situation. Pittsburgh started the year with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. It was bad. It was ugly. And for weeks now, people have been chanting Kenny Pickett's name. And now, after three and a half games of Trubisky, frustration has built and built and built. And now, there's more appreciation for Kenny Pickett than there would have been if he'd started from day one. People are going to be more forgiving of Kenny Pickett's mistakes because he's still better than Mitchell Trubisky. And the locker room now really wants Kenny Pickett because they're losing. They're 1-3. and three. The quarterback situation hasn't been good enough. i I got to give a, a shout-out to Mike Tomlin. What a smart approach by him to maybe wait a week or two too long to switch to Kenny Pickett. But what he did was get Kenny Pickett support from the fan base and from the locker room. Kenny Pickett isn't amazing. He's got room to grow, but, and like he could be better, but man, he's going to get better in time and he's already better than Mitchell Trubisky. And if you put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich against rotten eggs, that's not a decision. Like by itself, you're like, hey, you want a PB&J? Eh. But if I say, if I sell it to you, hey man, you either can have rotten eggs like, they're bad and moldy. Or you could have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich I just made, which is good and healthy. The PB&J maybe wasn't that exciting. But when the other option is awful, you're like, yeah, let's take the, the decent option. And I think the way that Mike Tomlin handled the whole scenario, he sold it to us. He sold Kenny Pickett now as a better commodity because we know what the alternative is, which is really bad. Mike Tomlin made everyone love Kenny Pickett even more. And I just, round of applause to Mike Tomlin. I think a lot of people were confused. I, I had a lot of people didn't understand. 
now in hindsight, that makes sense. He had a very wise approach with Kenny Pickett and he rallied the troops in support of Kenny Pickett and really especially got the locker room on his side. On paper, Kenny Pickett's numbers weren't amazing. They're interesting, I guess. He was 10 for 13 passing, 120 yards, no touchdown passes, three interceptions, which I think makes people cringe at first. Now, Kenny Pickett did run for two touchdowns. He also, um, yes, did have three picks, but uh, also it's kind of weird that Kenny Pickett, 10 for 13 passing, three incompletions, all three incompletions were picked off, which is kind of a rare stat line. I've never heard of that before. Kind of weird. Uh, number three was not his fault at all. Kenny Pickett threw a Hail Mary at the end of the game, trying to make a play. It's a jump ball. You hope your guy gets it. It's just a shot in the dark, and it got picked off. Like, that's yeah, bad luck. Um, his second interception was, I believe, a throw to George Pickens. Not a great decision. I remember it well. It got tipped, but he kind of forced it into coverage. That's on him. That's not a great decision, not a great throw. His first interception was also one that I thought was his fault. Chase Claypool is double-covered but there was really only one defender that could make a play on the ball. I actually liked the idea of taking a shot to Chase Claypool. I want to see Kenny Pickett do that a lot more in the future. Like, he's such a good receiver in one-on-one coverage. Give him a chance. Put it up there. I just thought the ball was kind of underthrown, and underthrown football plus Chase Claypool maybe didn't do a good enough job playing defense, getting the ball knocked out of the defender's hand. That led to an interception, but they weren't like, horrible interceptions that were awful. The second one I thought was the worst interception of the three. The third one wasn't his fault at all. All in all, I thought it was a solid day for Kenny Pickett. He scored two touchdowns. Uh, I think the offense moves the ball much better with him at quarterback than Trubisky. And the receiving core really prefers Kenny Pickett because he actually gives them chances to make plays. He's taking shots downfield. He's trusting them to go get the football. I think Kenny Pickett is an outstanding fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers receiving core. I mean, we've seen, um, that's something, you know, something Big Ben even struggled with was uh, managing the personalities and keeping them happy. Kenny Pickett's great at that. Watch him on the sideline, interacting, dapping people up. Like, he he really is, I, I think, exactly what the Steelers need from a personality standpoint at quarterback. He's got some dog. You see him clapping. You see him rallying the troops. Trubisky looks confused and upset and kind of lost and passive. Pickett's a little more type A, a little more outgoing, a little more in your face, but also like he he allows the receivers room to complain to him and he listens to them and he gives them what they want, which again is an opportunity. He really is going to throw the ball downfield and give them a shot and give them freedom to make plays where Trubisky just wasn't taking enough shots downfield. So I, I really think all around, Kenny Pickett is not only an upgrade on Trubisky, he's also probably an upgrade over what Big Ben was last year, which is blasphemous, I know, but Big Ben last year wasn't the primetime Big Ben we saw years ago. And Big Ben, as his career went on, got worse and worse at interacting with younger teammates. Kenny Pickett, like, I'm not trying to hate on Big Ben, but that's that's true. He complained and... He didn't seem to get along with Chase Claypool very well. Uh, Kenny Pickett's great at that. Like, he really is, I think, from a personality standpoint, exactly what the Steelers need. So I walked away feeling very positive about Kenny Pickett. And shout out to Mike Tomlin for giving us three and a half weeks of suffering with Mitchell Trubisky to make us appreciate Kenny Pickett even more.
I mean, that's something I wonder if I'm sure that's a sales technique is to give someone a bad option and then a decent option. And it makes the decent option look way more attractive. Now, Zach Wilson, the Jets quarterback, dealt with kind of an ugly day uh, as the quarterback of the New York Jets. They had no running game uh, at all. They were like the amount of times that the running backs just got stuffed in the backfield was embarrassing and frustrating. I, they ended up with like 90-something yards rushing, which I don't know how. I have no idea how it added up to that, but somehow they did end up with technically 90 yards rushing. Didn't feel like that watching at all. Um, Zach Wilson was also under constant pressure throwing the football. He's very lucky TJ Watt didn't play for Pittsburgh. Um, the Jets' offensive line is struggling, man. And Zach Wilson, dude, is running for his life at times. Now, Zach did save the day. Uh, he delivered in the end and made a lot of big throws when he needed to. So honestly, what an amazing way to start 2022 for Zach Wilson. I mean, Zach Wilson is trying to prove that he is the Jets franchise quarterback. And when you think of it that way, week four was a perfect start for him because that's what a franchise quarterback does is deliver at the end of a game and win a football game. You know, the Jets were down 10 to 20 with 10 minutes left in the game. And Zach put together two great touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. He had an 11-play, 81-yard touchdown drive, then a 10-play, 65-yard touchdown drive. That's a massive start for Zach Wilson and a promising result. Again, that's what a franchise quarterback does is deliver at the end of a game. But, and you knew a but was coming. I was going to, ah, here's the problem. It was also concerning because does Zach Wilson have to rescue the Jets every single game? Pass protection was terrible. The running game was awful. The offensive line is a mess. It's really concerning. And what we saw week four from the Jets was not a sustainable winning formula. Like You, you can't go into the final 10 minutes of every game down two touchdowns, needing your second-year quarterback to rescue you when your offensive line is awful and no one's making a play. I think New York has got some good skill players. They've got a receiver, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson's awesome. They've got a running back tandem I like, Michael Carter and Brees Hall. But if the offensive line is garbage, then it's going to be a really long year for Zach Wilson and the Jets, and it's not all their fault. They've had injuries, they've had a lot of setbacks, but I just, I worry that the Jets' awful offensive line is going to hold back what potentially could be a very interesting and exciting year for the Jets' young quarterback, Zach Wilson. And it's going to make him look bad. It's going to make people think he's not a franchise quarterback when I will argue, I don't think he's getting the offensive line support that he deserves and he needs to be successful. And I don't know very many quarterbacks who could succeed behind a truly awful offensive line like what we saw from the Jets against Pittsburgh week four. By the way, Philly beat the Jaguars 29-21. to Good win for Philly. Um, yeah, you know, the Jaguars started up 14 to nothing. The Eagles fought back. It's kind of cool, I guess. I, I thought it was uh, really the most entertaining part of the whole day was whether or not Philadelphia was going to boo their former head coach, Doug Peterson. They cheered for him. I thought, I was like, wow, holy crap. I can't believe it. Philadelphia, you guys have a soul. You have a heart. I love Philadelphia, by the way. I want to be clear. Philadelphia, one of, I've never been there, but man, I love that the, the 
I, frankly, the fan base is kind of intimidating. I, I get a lot of hate and anger when I say bad stuff about the Eagles on YouTube, and I like that. I think it's better for sports when there's a passionate fan base. I've said it before. New York, Philly, and Dallas are like, and, and I would throw Pittsburgh in there as well. The most passionate fan bases in the NFL. Um, the Raiders are probably up there somewhere, but like, man, Philadelphia, cream of the crop when it comes to fan base passion. And the fact that, you know, they respected what Doug Peterson did enough. He won them a Super Bowl that they cheered him, thought it was kind of cool. I thought if anything, they would boo him just kind of out of like, that's what we do. We love you, but you're the other team now. Boo. But I, I was surprised they cheered him on. And I wonder who decides that, by the way. Is that like a local radio conversation all week? Is there like a Twitter group? Is there a, a Facebook page? Do we boo him or not? I have no idea how that decision gets made in Philadelphia, whether they boo a former player or coach or not. But I thought that was pretty cool. Kind of fun to watch uh, the game. I guess the Jaguars, really the only way this game was going to be a much longer, more interesting topic on the show. I was watching this game realizing like, if Philadelphia wins this game, it's not a very compelling story to me. Like, Philly's 4-0. They look great. But you can't really sell it. Oh, they beat the Jaguars! Like, no one understands how significant that is. But, they I mean, the Jaguars are pretty dang good. They're better than the record would show. Um, and uh, unless the Jaguars upset Philly, I realize uh, it's probably not a big storyline people are going to care a lot about. But I watched it. It was a good win for Philadelphia. And I think... A much more impressive win than people are going to realize because the Jaguars are a better team than most people realize. All right, um, let's talk about college football week five. For me, the game of the week in college football this past weekend was Kentucky at Ole Miss. Ole Miss won 22 to 19. Everyone all year has told me how great of an NFL prospect Kentucky's quarterback Will Levis is. Oh, he's so great. Yeah, he's not that physically gifted. And the two times I've watched Will Levis, the Florida game and the Ole Miss game, hasn't been that great. Will Levis, in my opinion, got outshined by Ole Miss quarterback Jackson Dart this past weekend. Didn't have better numbers, Jackson Dart didn't, but he looked more talented. I was like, oh, this guy's more exciting, and I'm, I think that's a better future. Will Levis had an amazing opportunity this past weekend to gain my respect. And he failed. Will Levis got the ball, minute 49 left, down three points, and he couldn't score. And there was probably a missed targeting call in there, but the narrative and the, the takeaway here is that Will Levis didn't deliver in a big moment. And it's the second time I've watched Will Levis this year, and he was kind of, nah, like, fine. So, Ole Miss is 5-0, and Kentucky's 4-1, and and... He had a chance to throw a touchdown to Dane Key. He did throw a touchdown to Dane Key, technically, on the goal line. But Will Levis forgot a key detail. Not everyone was set first. It was an illegal motion, no touchdown. And I, I walked away feeling like week five at Ole Miss, not a great game from Will Levis. And there's very few opportunities where you're playing a game that I'm going to pay attention to and go, ah, can this guy grab my attention? Huge moment here. Will Levis blew it, in my opinion. Okay, unranked Missouri <laughs> scared number one ranked Georgia. They gave Georgia the best game anyone has played against Georgia all year. Missouri led by 10 points in the fourth quarter, 22 to 12. Now, Georgia got two big fourth quarter touchdowns. Um, they won 26 to 22. 
Georgia's first lead of the game, by the way, came with four minutes left in the game. Like they really brought it down to the wire. Um, but I've said before, great teams get one bad game a year. And the key is you got to survive your bad game. Georgia did. They stayed undefeated. Uh, Missouri is, I believe they're two and three. They're two and three or three and two, but I think it's, I think it's the worst one. I think it's two and three and probably won't talk about them again the rest of the year, to be honest, but man, they gave Georgia a battle. Michigan beat Iowa 27 to 14. Not a very compelling game. Michigan was up 20 to nothing before Iowa even scored. Uh, but hey, shout out to Michigan running back Blake Corum. He ran 29 times for 133 yards and a touchdown. And nothing flashy, but I thought Michigan had a good win over Iowa this past weekend. Alabama uh, beat Arkansas 49 to 26. They dominated, but the problem is Alabama's young quarterback, Bryce Young, Hurt his shoulder. He left the game up 14-0, and uh, he has a sprained AC joint. So he's day-to-day right now. He may or may not play this next weekend. And it sucks. I absolutely love Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. As I look around the NFL world, high school football, college football, NFL football, Bryce Young is my absolute favorite quarterback to watch on TV. I, there's not a single—if I if I could watch every game and it'd just be Bryce Young, I would. I, I, I've said before, I can't wait to play this guy in Madden. He's awesome. He's super fun. He's like a video game character. The way he extends plays is ridiculous, and I think he's better than anyone in the world right now at extending plays and keeping his shoulders aligned so we can throw downfield and also keeping plays alive in the backfield— I know that's blasphemous, but I, I just love watching the guy. I, I really do. And I'm bummed he's hurt right now. He may or may not play next week. Freshman quarterback Jalen Milrow came in for Bama. He did all right. He ran for like 91 yards, had a long 77-yard run. He threw a touchdown pass. But, you know, Bama led 27, 28-7. They, they won easily. But Bama's quarterback, Bryce Young, got hurt. And that's concerning moving forward because while Alabama's 5-0, they play Texas A&M this coming weekend, and there's a lot of bad blood between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and these two teams. Alabama's going to need Bryce Young in this football game. Him not playing against Texas A&M would be a massive deal, and uh, keep your eye on that one. By the way, TCU dominated Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma has lost two games in a row. They lost week four to K-State. Uh, week five, they lost to TCU. TCU won 55-24. to TCU... 4-0, good for them. Uh, Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel left the game with a head injury in the second quarter. That made the game worse, but TC was already winning 34-10. I'm surprised that Oklahoma... Um, two losses in a row, uh, an ugly one to TCU. It's not the same without Lincoln Riley. And I, you know, Brent Venables is awesome. It's going to take him time to build that program. I think he will. But with Lincoln Riley gone, we're, we're seeing the impact of that. And uh, it's not quite the same now. I don't think those are two games in a row that Lincoln Riley would have lost in previous years. Uh, By the way, last, I guess I already said by the way. Also, how about that one? Also, Kansas football. The Kansas Jayhawks are 5-0 in football. They're the number 19 ranked team in the nation. And uh, I got to say, the Big 12 in general might be my, I don't know, I can't say that. The SEC is my favorite conference to watch. It's what I pay the most attention to. It is what fans care the most about. I love watching future NFL players play. Like, I really respect the SEC. If I want to have fun, like, guilty pleasure, Zach, with, um, I don't know, when Zach is in the mood, me, when I'm in the mood for, like, you know, two cookies and I'll put ice cream in the middle and make my own homemade 
cookie sand, you know, cookie ice cream sandwich. When I'm feeling like dangerous, want to have fun, <laughs> I'll put on a Big 12 game. God, that's the most nerdy football thing I've ever said in my life. But it's kind of true. Like, I don't, the Big 12 doesn't give me good content. People don't care about the Big 12. There's not much interest there. I watch Kansas football play and, like, I'm not getting anything out of it content wise. But oh my gosh, I love the Big 12. It's fun. There's offensive football. It's wild. There's these offensive battles. They score like 67 points a game. I don't know, man. I, I love watching the SEC for the passion and the future NFL players. And there's some really good quarterbacks in the SEC. But when I want fun, when I want entertaining video game numbers, I watch the Big 12 and I will not apologize for it. The Big 12 is really... I, I used to not care about them at all. And this year I've been watching a lot of Big 12 football and I've just been having a blast. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like a candy bar. It's just like indulgent and fun. And uh, oh man, that that's me getting wild. I live in a truck and I watch Big 12 football now. God, I'm such a effing nerd. <laughs> all right, uh, let's end the show this way. We're going to talk about Formula One. If you don't like Formula One, I don't blame you at all. I, I get it. I used to not watch Formula One for years. I used to not care. So if you're a football guy and I'm going to talk about racing, adios. I love you. Have a great day. I'll see you on the next episode. But let's talk about F1 to end the show. On Sunday, we had the Singapore Grand Prix. It was a wet night race, kind of a bizarre, boring race where the rain had stopped, but it was a night race. So there was no sun to dry the track out. Plus, it was super humid. Ended up actually running into a two-hour time limit. Not Didn't even finish all the laps required. No one knew what tires to put on. In the first 30 laps, five drivers retired. Both Williams, both Alpines, Joe Guan Yu. Um, someone else didn't retire. There were only 14 cars finished the race. Uh, the safety car was on and off all race long. Um, yeah, people, people kept saying that, you know, Max Verstappen could clinch the Formula One world title in this race and... It's been kind of annoying because, like, technically, technically it's mathematically possible that Max Verstappen could win the world title in Singapore. But, like, realistically, it's going to be two or three more races. I mean, it takes the right conditions where you're thinking, if that guy gets zero points and this other guy, Max finishes way ahead of him and this guy crashes, if all the stuff goes right, maybe Max can win. And it's like, what do you expect, the whole grid to not get any points other than Max? I mean... Yeah, tired and I just was like I, I'm really really sick of this narrative that maybe this is the day Max wins it's not gonna be it's gonna be three more weeks also Max started the race in P8 after a, a mistake of Red Bull underfueled his car during qualifying so he had even less of a chance and Max spent a lot of the race stuck behind Fernando Alonso and then later stuck behind Lando Norris so later when there was a race restart after a safety car he frustration was building and building and um he popped he tried to make a big move and it cost him max is a emotional impatient driver he always has been and when the frustration built and he popped um he <laughs> locked up and he ran wide and went from p5 all the way back to p14 lost all the progress he had gained i mean well it was a weird adventure for max because he started the day p8 got all the way up to worked up to p5 was in a pretty decent position, then lost a bunch of ground, went back to P14, finished the race in P7. Kind of just kind of a mess, like a weird, messy race for him. The race ended like this. Sergio Perez won. Charles Leclerc got second. 
Carlos Sainz got third. Lando Norris got fourth. The other McLaren, Daniel Ricciardo, got fifth. Great day for McLaren, by the way. Uh, Lance Stroll got sixth. Probably one of the highest points finishes ever for Lance Stroll. Max Verstappen got seventh. Sebastian Vettel got eighth. Lewis Hamilton got ninth. Pierre Gasly got tenth. Um, bad day all around for Mercedes. Uh, Lewis went into the barrier once, lost a bunch of ground. George, George Russell finished in last. Um, George spent a lot of the race at the back of the pack where, you know, he, he tried to make a move. He put on slick tires before everyone trying to get an advantage, you know, rolling a dice, trying to hopefully take a risk and get ahead. And it, it really failed. And maybe even the most, here's how kind of boring this race was. The most entertaining part of this race for me personally was when on lap 22, George Russell put on medium slick tires. And when Red Bull team principal Christian Horner told Max Verstappen, Max goes, oh, well, that's brave. I was like, that's, that's a good line. That's funny. Uh, it was not a great race at all. I mean, it was good for Sergio Perez. It was good for Ferrari, good for McLaren. You know, the rivals of them, Ferrari's rival, Mercedes struggled their battle for second. Uh, McLaren's rival, Alpine, struggled in their battle for fourth. Uh, you know, McLaren gained 22 points on Alpine. Ferrari got 33 points. Mercedes only got two with Lewis Hamilton. So here are the team standings after Singapore. Um, Red Bull's in first place right now with 576 points. Ferrari's in second with 439. Mercedes is in third with 373. And fourth now is McLaren with 129 points. And in fifth right now is Alpine with 125 points. That battle for fourth and uh, second is really interesting. But right now... Ferrari's got a commanding lead over Mercedes, and McLaren is now retaking the lead from Alpine. Alpine, now battle for fourth. Maybe the most interesting battle right now in Formula 1, along with the battle for second. In the driver's standings, um, that's what I mean, in the driver's standings, the battle for second. Max Verstappen in the driver's standings leads with 341 points. He's way ahead. He's over 100 points ahead of Charles Leclerc, who's in second with 237 points. Right behind Charles Leclerc is Sergio Perez in third with 235 points. Uh, and fourth... Still, even after no points in Singapore, George Russell is in fourth with 203 points. In fifth is Carlos Sainz, 202 points. And in sixth is Lewis Hamilton with 170 points in Formula One. The next race is on Sunday, October 9th in Japan. Going to be fun, man. Japan is a, a really cool country. And uh, I bet the shots are going to be beautiful and gorgeous. So anyway, I'm interested. I'm excited. I wouldn't mind. An, I, I think of the movie Rush with uh, Nicky Loud and James Hunt the scene at Mount Fuji in Japan with the rain, like maybe we'll get another rainy race like that. Kind of an epic moment, but um, I don't know right now, not a lot to be interested in formula one, to be totally honest. Max is way ahead. Red Bull's way ahead. They got the world title unlock. It appears um, Alpine versus McLaren is interesting. Leclerc versus Sergio Perez is interesting, but not a lot going on. That's incredibly compelling in formula one at this last race in Singapore was just, kind of an abhorrent mess, totally. Just not interesting much at all, and um, in fact, disappointing. Guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I gotta go home. I gotta do the dishes. I gotta pack up my backpack and then get in a car and drive to Seattle. I'll be uploading in my car uh, using 5G internet on my way to Seattle. So, if you're listening to this, know that minutes ago, I got to Seattle and I'm watching a Mariners game, drunk and happy, having a hot dog. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, bam, we are